Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it may be, wherever you are. My name is Craig Hagan, and you're listening to Raymond's Weekly Podcast. We're sitting here with Tony McKinnon, fresh off of the beach and vacation. Um, we're actually recording this on the 17th of August, actually. Won't be too long, and Rainbow Training College will start. Right around the corner. Right around the corner. And so, um, you know, um, I know you enjoy your food and your, your vacation. I did. Oysters and shrimp and crawfish and yeah. we know all you like kinds crawfish. of fish. You, you, you like crawfish and yeah. crawfish and crawfish mm-hmm. pie and crawfish yeah. whatever. Me oh my. Yeah. And i just remind you, Bible scholars, third day of creation, God made beaches, and he's just the only day of creation. He said that it was good twice. All right. On There's that, something to that. On that note, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you'll send us an email, podcast at rhema.org, or also like us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and you know what you think. And right now we're on a campaign to get Doug Jones to be on the podcast. There you go. Doug Jones has told us, you know, no, I don't know how many times. And obviously, for the, some of you that don't know Doug, Doug actually graduated from the first class. Charter class. Charter class of Rainbow Bible Training College. Um, he's been a longtime instructor. He traveled with with the Hagen family many years. Um, you know, I, I knew him as Bug Jones when I was, you know, five or six years old, known him, you know, most of all my life. You know, and for some reason he doesn't want to be on our podcast. So Tony wants to give out his email address. What's the email address? For it him? is D Jones, D is in Doug, D Jones at org. So, so we want all our listeners to, to email D Jones at org and say, Doug, we want you on the podcast. And, and so we want you to, that's Phil Doug's flood it flood his email yeah. his, his email I want I, I want to see IT in his office because his computer's crashed yeah so let's flood it you know because we want Doug on the podcast and so we decided that we're going to let you guys make the vote he thinks that he's not that interesting enough I mean although I know a number of students who thought that Doug was their favorite teacher and so but he doesn't think he's that interesting he doesn't he goes I don't do the podcast kind of stuff or whatever and you know he goes he's not good at it but doesn't matter we want him on the podcast flood his e- email address anyway well once again we have cliff graham with us um unisonharvest.com is his, his email address and, and you know what we like to do is the first time we talked about his rhema story now we want to give him you know what cliff what's been on your heart what, what are some things that you really want to talk about and let our listeners know some things that are passionate that you're that you're all about well um our, our ministry is called unison harvest international and uh our heart is to literally work together to harvest as much as we possibly can. When I came to uh, Rama, um, I remember coming to prayer school one time, and one minister got up. He didn't. He wasn't speaking to me, but he was speaking to the entire group, and he said, "You know, I came with a goal in my heart that I thought was dropped in there from the Spirit of God." to win so many souls for my life. I, I believe we mostly operate in the gift of evangelist. And uh, I remember the minister getting up. He was doing campaigns overseas, and he said, you know, he just, the Lord used him, and he just said, you know, I'm having campaigns of 100,000 people at a time. He said, you know, if you've got a goal of 2 million souls, which is exactly what my goal was, to win 2 million souls for my life's work, and uh, at any at any way I could do it, any any you know one on one, small churches, large churches, mass campaigns, one on you know, and uh, I remember him looking down and just talking to the whole group. There was over about two hundred students, and he said, "If you think that's a big deal, he said that means I'd just work about two years or so, and then I'd be done, and then you retire." And he said, "You might want to 
climb down on the altar and find out what God really wants you to do. And I remember going, wow, he just said the number that I, you know, that I confessed regularly, I want to win 2 million souls. And then he said a super funny thing. He said, you know, some of you guys, uh, when you're done with school, you just need to hitchhike to the East Coast, buy a one-way ticket to Europe, and uh, believe God for your way back. Because he said, if you had a two-way ticket, if you have a round-trip ticket, he said, as soon as it gets hard, you would give up. And then you'd come back and you'd say, oh, yeah, God led me back. And he said, why don't you get a one-way ticket? I remember looking up and down the aisle, and I had actually hitchhiked across country when I was coming in the summer because I delivered a car on the East Coast and um, uh, the first year before school started at, in Tulsa. And I got stuck and I hitchhiked back. And um, I was a hitchhiker. I hitchhiked to surf. I, it didn't bother me back then. Yeah, things were a little different back then, too. Yeah, they were a lot different. Yeah. And so when he said that, I was like, wow. He goes, I was looking up and down the front row because I was a front row sitter at prayer school. And and I thought, I don't think many of these people would even think about hitchhiking across the country. But I, I had done it. And I'll be honest, back then it was a lot easier to hitchhike on the West Coast than it was the East Coast. Yeah. It was possible. but it, And so I remember looking and going, I, th- I think the guy's talking to me. I think God is using him to speak to me. And so I ended up, uh, these people had sponsored me for Rama, and they came for graduation. And then I had finishing up this mural. And they drove me to West, uh, East, East Knoxville. And two weeks later, I was driving a car with a evangelist lady who helped train me and dropped me off in New York. And I caught a, a one-way ticket to on Pakistan International Air for $200 to Paris. And then I took an uh, air flight down to the south of France. And I knew what it was like to have a one-way ticket. Pakistan the air? Pakistan International Air. <laughs> and not many people were flying on that. Nothing wrong with it, but just it was just their route was New York, Paris, Frankfurt, um, Lahore. And so I bought the one ticket on there and then I didn't have any support. I didn't go through missions. I went through, um, I, I thought I was called to evangelism missions, but the Lord put on my heart to go through teachers. And that's another story, but I'll tell it. I remember, you know, praying about what I should do, what I should sign up for second year. And I remember this, this one teacher came out or, you know, she'd been in the teacher's group and she said, you know, do you have a desire for people to know God? And do this, and I remember going, yeah, that's, that's me. And do you want them to really be intimate with God? And and I all of a sudden I start crying. I'm like, yeah, that's me. And she goes, you want them to be impacted with how important God is, and and just get to know Him. And and I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's me. I want people to know God. And she goes, you need to go in the teachers group. And I said, teachers group. And I remember looking up and looking up, and people are like. Boy, this is, and it was just God spoke to me. This was the group you're supposed to go into. Now I know they don't have teachers anymore, but um, uh, it just, I had taught windsurfing, I taught surfing, I taught skiing, I taught snowboarding. And so I actually understood what a quote unquote teacher's mm. gift was. I understood line upon line, even though a lot of times when people hear me minister, they think you're, you're more sporadic, but I did understand you have to start from the foundation and work up. So I remember I got done, I go, oh my gosh, God, I think you want me to go to teachers. So I was a regular at prayer school, make a long story short. And then when we got done, that man came up and spoke that. I climb up on the altar and God and I, uh, it was the RAMA, um, it's now the RMA, RMA, but back then it was RCA because I think we had church there. Yeah. And um, I remember I climbed up, they turned the lights out and I prayed for probably an hour and God gave me a specific number of souls 
And there's a few times where I've announced it and people are just like, who do you think you are? I think I'm a child of the living God. And with God, all things are possible. And if he puts a dream in your heart, if you will just never, never, never give up, that you will achieve whatever God designed from you from the beginning of time. Yeah, amen. So um, so I said that. And then anyway, so I took a one-way, I got a, dry, a ride all the way to the East Coast. And then I one-way ticket on um, Pakistan International Air. And then I took a train down. And after six months... Um, I made it went my way back, and then I worked in a ski resort. But what happened is, is I learned through the good times, and like I like how Patsy Caminetti said, it says you go through the 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 um, the glamour, like when you move to the south of France. Oh, oui, oui, c'est très bien comme ça. You know, it's super chic and all this kind of stuff. But then after a while, you're like, you know what? Everybody uses the restroom the same way. They have to make their bed. And when you go for a long term trip, one person said this: don't. Don't um, blast me with little emails on this. But they said, you know, the problem with short-term missions is it's like a dog running through a museum. He sees everything, but he's not able to appreciate anything. Mm. And there's a second part to that quote, but I never remember the second (laughs) part. I only remember the first part. But I liked to go mission trips long time. I like to go six months. I like to go, first time I went to Rama, India, I was there for 30 days. And you get to know how everyday people live. Mm -hmm. And you get to know the struggles and the challenges and the dogs barking on the street and the mosquitoes flying into your room and eating chicken masala for 30 days in a row and eggs in the morning. You understand this? Yeah. So people think, oh, my gosh, running with God is always wonderful. But then this is what Patsy Caminetti said. First, it's the glamour, okay, where look how it's so unique. It's so different and all this other stuff. And then you get to the guts where you're like, oh, my gosh. This is no different than getting up and doing my job just like anything else. But then when you can push through the guts, then you come to God's glory. And his glory comes at different times. Sometimes it's quicker. Sometimes it takes forever. But I found out if we don't stop walking with our Jesus, you will see his glory. Just like he said in uh, John chapter 11, where Mary or Martha says to him, Lord, I, I know we'd see his glory. And he says, no, no, no. You're going to see the glory of God today. Your day is coming where you're going to see God's glory. So anyway, so I end up flying there. I come back, and I remember thinking, wow, that's what inspired me after living in the south of France for six months to get up every morning at 4 a.m. because I had to go back speaking the language. And I would study for an hour. I had a, Someone gave me a government um, uh, you know, uh, language learning program, and I would listen to French for an hour then I would study my Bible for an hour. I remember going to work on the mountain this before I was a ski instructor. People go, why are you so awake? And back then, I never drank coffee. It wasn't until I went to Europe that I ever drank coffee. And now I'm spoiled. I only drink espresso. But I would already been up like four hours before everybody else. I'm like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? Yeah. Because I was studying because I had that passion to fulfill. And I'll tell you why. When that man dropped in my heart, You need to find out what God wants you to do for the rest of your life. Listen, I believe every part. I like how Billy Graham said this. He goes, each one reaches one, whatever your job is. But the end of his each one reaching one, he ministered to over 2 billion people. And so this, when I, God and I dealt with this, I probably speak it at least once a day, if not, you know, a couple times, I claim what he gave me as my soul winning numbers. And uh, like I said, if I told people they think I was crazy, but uh, I'm okay. 
I can wait till mass end time harvest time because I'll tell you why. Right now, we have more technology and uses with the Bible, with the um, books, with the blogs, with vlogs, with internet, with um, all these apps that what we used to take a lifetime to preach one small message, we can now, with the right platform, we could speak to a hundred million people in one day. And I found out if you don't give up, because he's answered so many of my other prayers, if you don't give up, and you guys can interrupt me anytime because I'll okay. talk. I'll no, talk this forever. Is We're listening. And so if you don't give up on the goals that God has put in your heart, but there's there's a few requirements. Um, if you don't give up, you will have whatever you say. I'm telling you, I've seen it. Things people said were impossible. I waited 14 years for my wife. I can tell you the time I was at a, that at that businessman conference in Hawaii, and this lady put her hand on my shoulder when we were all eating, and she said, "You know what? God's prepared." your um, partner, your traveling companion for the rest of your life. Well, one of the things that God first spoke to me on Come Only 2 is he said, one, you're never going to drink again. That was, I didn't, whatever other people do, that's between them and God. He, but he told me, you'll never drink again. And my stepfather was a alcoholic. He used to put me on motorcycles in the backyard in Los Angeles. We had a little half acre property with horses, chickens and ducks. It's pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, he put me on motorcycles. He'd get totally blasted, and he'd make me jump the Vespa scooter. He put me at nine years old. He put me on a 550 Triumph in the backyard, ran alongside of it. And people wonder why I turned out to be so crazy for God, because I was getting crazy for the other guy. And so, um, so uh, wait, where did I go for that one? Anyway, so here we are. I'm I'm on my way overseas. And I, Your wife, that's where we were. With my wife. And I had to wait 14 years for my wife. And if he would have told me, you're going to wait 14 years for your wife, I was like, I don't think I could do that. But here it is. I'm blessed with an amazing wife. She's been over 30 countries with me around the world. And she puts up with you. And she puts up with me. And I, I know I'm an, inte- I'm an interesting person to deal with. I'm an intense <laughs> person, person to deal with. And she gets that pleasure every single day. And the kids ain't that bad. No, the kids are oh, the kids are awesome. But she's got some really beautiful genes, and I think with our together, our, we created some really beautiful children. But anyway, so this is what I'm telling you. I waited 14 years, but I've learned if you don't give up, God never gives up on us. Yeah. We're the ones who we can allow our faith to fail, but if we keep on declaring what he's dropped in our heart, you will achieve what God's put on you from the beginning of time. And so one of the one of the scriptures that I want to read when that man gave me that, um, that vision or God prompted him to use him to, to claim this many goals is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And um, for my heart, I'm like, I want to go as many nations and preach the gospel to as many people. If it's one, I could tell you some stories like my T-shirt says, I ended up getting to witness to one person in that nation. And I'll tell you, they were reading my book, and they, they asked me multiple times, oh, you wrote a book? Can I read the book? I said, I can't. It has our, our ideology in it, and I could go to jail if you get that book, or you could turn me in if you get that book. And during a ping-pong, ping-pong uh, tournament, she saw me working on the book. She goes, can I read something in your book? And I'm like, I can't. We could get in trouble. She goes, let me read something. I insulted her so much with the with the mm-hmm. my book blueprint for a dreamer 
that I said, you can read Cliff's story. And while they're in a, in a uh, ping pong match um, against the, that nation's people, and we were doing pretty good. We actually won. She read my story. And I can tell you, I was praying in the Holy Spirit. I had tears rolling down my eye because I knew if you could just touch one, one is it was totally against the law, but if you could just touch one, you plant a seed of the gospel in them. So she read my story, and my goal the next time she asked me to read the book, I was going to have her read what it, what it means to be saved. And um, if you can just reach one, if all of us just attempt to reach one, or all of us attempt to reach whatever God puts in our heart, whether you're a pastor, whether you're evangelist, whether you're a teacher, you do your part, right? Unison harvest. We all do our part. We will bring in the harvest. And this is what it says. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations or all the world as a witness in all the nations, and then the end will come. So guess what? If we don't stop preaching the word, if we don't stop telling our neighbor and our city and our state and our country, if we don't stop telling, there's going to come a day where he's going to say, it's time for you all to come home. And so my heart is I just want to reach the most amount of people with the gospel. And just like I shared in the other one, um, in the last, uh, uh, session is that, you know, he said in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Well, they're going to speak into people's lives. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Well, then Peter turns it around three quarters of those people that are, I believe God singled out are going to be the proclaimers around the earth. And so however you do this, however you run after God with everything that you've got, we all have to preach the gospel. If yeah. you're down at Utica Square, if you're in that other nation that I can't say, and you were able to tell one. I remember we landed back in, in the nation that we had to get a plane into that nation. <laughs> I know I'm being super vague, and I'm really glad about it. And everyone asked, you know, they're doing all their feedback and their wrap-up, and Somebody said their after-action report, and they said, so did anything special happen? I said, well, actually, during the table tennis promotion, I was able to witness to this one people, and one of the directors looked at me and said, I saw that. You know you could have put us all in jail. And I thought, glory to God, somebody has to take this to the other side. (laughs) So anyway, so one of the things that's real strong in my heart is we all have to do our part and Especially, I, I, I do believe that we do have giftings. I know there's many helps people, but when you know you have a fivefold ministry call, you do need to run toward that. And it's really interesting for me because every time I, I shoot towards or, or aim towards mass evangelism, which I know is not always super popular now, every time I do it, God somehow is able to get resources to me. And I'm talking about financial resources. Every time I take a step of faith toward mass evangelism, God meets my needs. So you know what that does for me? Just like when I would have to go get some of Jesus out of me and go down to Utica Square and preach, because then I go, okay, Lord, I told somebody about you. Every time I go to these other nations, I think I've been to over 55 nations now. I need to sit down and tabulate them. But there's another two, well, another total of about 200, 209 nations I still have another 150 nations if the Lord allowed me to before he comes. I want to get my feet on the ground in those places. Now, I know that's not everybody's call, but you know what it said with Ziklag, right? Some went, some stayed by the stuff, but they got the same reward. And so I just want to keep on 
telling people about Jesus, no matter where it is, no matter how we're doing it, no matter what the resources. And uh, one time I was with, um, I was listening to Jesse Duplantis share at a church service, and he said, the Lord said to him, Brother Jesse, I think that's how he said it. You know, I don't know if he calls him Brother Jesse or not, but he said, Brother Jesse, he goes, are you doing my works? He said, yes, Lord. You know, he has a, gets that big grin on his face. He says, yes, Lord, I'm doing your works. And he says, well, you're not doing what I said you do. He said, I said you would do greater works. And he's like, ah, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, and he's like, no, because you have the internet. You have handy mobile phones. You have printed page. You have this. He said, you should be doing greater works than me. And I remember thinking, yes, God, how can I use everything we have at our disposal to preach the gospel to the best of my ability? And I'm sure I fall short in some areas, but you know what? I'm going to keep on trying, keep on trying. And like how Craig said, he goes, you know, now you're getting up here in age. I'm like, I don't care. You know what? When Jesus comes back, I don't care if I'm 100 years old, I'm going to still be doing my part. And, and you know, one thing I think that that we need to get this out it's not just for ministers like us yep. to do our part. Yep. It, it's for people, you know, in the pews, you know, so to speak. You might not have pews at your church. I get it. You might have chairs. It doesn't yep. really matter. And in fact, you realize that there are ministers that, that pay lots of money to go to sh- church growth conferences and all kinds of things. The biggest church growth and the, the, way, the easiest way is kind of the way Jesus did it. You know, like you said, if each person in your church reached one person. So if you have a church of 100 and each person reached one person, you can have a church of 200 in a very quick amount of time. Yep. And then if they did the same thing, then you have a church of 400. Yep. I mean, you know, so it's exponential growth. And the fact, like you said, we have more tools than we, I mean, we have 12 year olds to get on YouTube yep. and become a YouTube sensation because something went viral because, you know, they punched their brother or something stupid would happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, now, now they're promoting Wheaties or whatever on, on, on YouTube and, and they're 12 years old. And, you know, we don't have the same people, with the same amount of fire when it comes to God, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, I mean, you know, you do unique stuff, and you know, obviously your ministry is more unique. Like, like you know, you want to bring motorcycle jumpers and skateboarders and all kinds of stuff because those are things that kids like to like to see. Yep. You know, but but so they come to see the stuff, and then we give them the gospel. Yep. And like I said, I know that you've talked about, you know, we don't. Most people don't realize in America that around the world they have the same mobile technology. You know, even in India and things like that. You know, people have have cell phones everywhere. And, and, you know, and, and so, you know, and a lot of times people, Christians don't, don't use the technology as much as, as unchristians. Now, I guess I should rephrase that. There are a lot of Christians that get on Facebook and argue with each other, you know, and, you know, I mean, we use the technology more to argue with each other than we do to actually go out and touch the world, yeah. you know, but one place you can learn to go out and touch the world is Rain Bible Training College. And I just encourage you, if, if you feel that, you know, today is tugging on your heart that you want to, you want to reach the world and you don't know how to do it rbtc.org if you'll just go there give us your information your, your your name your phone number your email and we'll have one of our representatives give you a call talk to you about rainbow bible training college it's the most affordable bible colleges in the nation actually in fact i think we are the cheapest in the nation that we know about and, and so if you'll just come here for two years and and, tra- and i don't care if you feel called the ministry or not if you'll come and train and, and god, god will will put you in the place that he has for you rbtc.org. So I, I know it's on your heart, man, to, to, to just reach everybody, whether they're in the United States, whether yep. they're, you know, and all over, obviously, unisonharvest.com. If you want to find more, more about Cliff's ministry, if you want to support Cliff, um, you know, unisonharvest.com, um, and you can go there. But 
So, um, I mean, you know, obviously COVID has put a um a damper on some things, but technology is still going on during COVID. Yep, yep. You know, and like so, what you're talking about is, is yeah, you know, maybe we can't have motorcycle jumps and have big rallies, but we can still reach 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 these people, you know, through the internet. I d- but I believe the world's going to open up, and we're going to be able to put yeah. our hand back to them. But what do you do in the meantime? How many churches do you know who never? like you're talking about, had never even used all that technology of it, of it that was available to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then guess what? They were forced to do it. They were forced to do Zoom calls. They were forced to do their services online. So guess what? They have new tools in their... In their um, tool belt. Tool belt, exactly, yeah. right? <laughs> and so here we go. Some of those who never did it before, I'm, I'm training myself how to use my iPad for sermons, which I just usually, usually use to new, use notes. But now I'm specifically forcing myself to learn how to use my iPad. I rebuke you. <laughs> Listen, I like my notebook. I, I like my notebooks too. I'm, I'm picking on you. But the thing about it is sometimes crisis forces yeah. you to go outside yourself and reach to a larger audience. I think we're, I think they said in Italy in the very beginning of this whole pandemic, they said Italy was seeing more people born again than they'd ever seen in years, wow. maybe decades, because all of a sudden people are locked up at home. So guess what they had to do? Instead of being in their coffee shops or whatever the other establishments they're going to, they get to turn on the TV and they got to watch people preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's you know amazing. Like I said, a lot of churches never even considered being online until they were forced to. They had to be online, you know. And it's it's you know, we've seen some some major church growth, and but then obviously you know I do believe that we should come together and, and worship God as well because yep. some churches that, that for some, for out of fear that they're not even having church still, you know, in America today, and they'll probably never have church. Um, you know, it is what it is. I'm not, not going to go there politically or, or whatever because, you know, it's, you know, but but we need to do our part. And, and I think a lot of times, like, you know, I, you know, one thing we can, we can pray for the world, yeah. you know, but, you know, I know even when you're a student, you, you would go out to Utica Square and, and witness. I mean, you go out and do something. I mean, you know, a lot of people just, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't, I don't but, you know, Maybe you should take Nike's slogan, just do it. I mean, a lot of times I mean, you do things, you don't, you don't know how you're going to make this work. You don't know how you're going to, but, you know, you know, if God gives you the idea, he also equips you. Yeah. Um, and, and equipping you is not just equipping you with the idea, but it's equipping you financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and all kinds of uh, different things. I mean, obviously, you know, we, talk, we were talking about this at lunch. I mean, you know, it takes a toll on your body doing some of this thing. I mean, I, mean, I remember when we spent some time in Dubai, we basically <laughs> did – Three days, very little sleep. <laughs> he went to India and basically slept the whole, whole way there. I flew home and slept the whole way pretty much. Well, <laughs> somebody did sit on the edge of my bed and talk to me about souls till about four in the morning. <laughs> but we won't mention how that one worked out, right? Oh, Cliff, I have such a heart for the loss. I have such a heart. I'm like, uh, Craig, I really want to go to sleep right now. <laughs> we had a good time, though. We had a good time. Yeah, we slept like three hours a night for, yeah. for like three days. Great. <laughs> And I, I didn't see you drink a lot of coffee. No, I didn't. That's just kind of that's just me. No, <laughs> I'm just I'm just. Well, I get more wired when it gets past midnight. For some reason, it's just your biorhythm. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's the way I'm. It's my DNA, I guess. I'm kind of made up that way. He just just say he doesn't teach first hour. Yeah, no, I do not teach first hour. Okay, and I actually complained about second hour. I mean, <laughs> used to I would never teach until third hour, but. For some reason, I get stuck with some second-hour classes. I don't know. 
I don't know why. You know, I don't have enough pool, I guess, to get the <laughs> third-hour classes. It, for a while, it was third-hour only. So anyway, it's just kind of that's just the way I'm made up. Yeah, I would say one thing, just thinking about Cliff, one of the things in talking about the, the college, I tell the students every year, uh, especially the first year, you know, all of our life, um, when we say yes to God and yes to the call of God on our life, everything up until then has is formative. Mm. In other words, for, for you, it was uh, your background with the, the surfing and those kind of thrill-seeking types of sports. Uh, and, it, you know, the anointing of God flows through who he made you to be, not who you pretend to be. Yeah. And so when you lean into all that stuff, it opens doors, mm-hmm. uh, and and the anointing is there for you to reach people. And so uh, maybe you're thinking, well, I you know I don't have uh, this gift or that gift, or I'm not good at this or that. But but you're good at something, and uh, you've got a sphere of influence, and God will use it. Yeah. Uh, just want to encourage, uh, and you know you think, well, you know I want to be like Cliff. That he sounds that sounds exciting. Well, Raymond's the house that built him. Yep. yep. And so come to Raymond Bible Training College. Yep. RBC RBTC dot org. Now one thing, Cliff, you know, I, I know know you pretty well. You know, one of my good friends. You know, but Cliff is the kind of guy he'll he'll talk to the person on the street. But but yeah. I mean I mean God said put him before him some big business folks, some folks in the you know, political world and whatever, and it doesn't matter who they are. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, Cliff will talk to anybody. He's as comfortable with the derelict as he is the dictator. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. Yeah. I and, think I'm gonna take that. <laughs> And that's what we have to, you know, we have, we have to, you know, you know, be before all men. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter who, who, who they are so that we might win some, you know, you know, be all things, all, all men. And, you know, well, the Holy spirit will empower you to speak every man's language. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, you know, like I said, not only that, I speak in other languages, obviously being around the world. I, I know that, that God has just put some miraculous connections, you know, through, you know, just through blind faith. Yeah, you know, and you know, he's he's used you to be able to minister to people, and maybe because you do it in a, a unique way that, that they don't they don't they don't. Well, he's not a real minister; he's a surfer, <laughs> he's a snowboarder, or whatever. So. Whatever. You know, it's funny because you bring that up because I I remember when I lived in Kihei on Maui, and I wanted to surf really big waves. So I, every night I do five hundred push ups and three hundred sit ups, so I'd prepare myself. And then I would, I would say, man, I can't wait to ride the big waves. I can't wait to ride the big waves because waves come. I mean, it's, you know, in the winter, you have the north swells. In the summer, you have the south swells. And then they change all around the island. So it's not like you have access to them all the time. Yeah. And uh, I would have, when I first went over there, I just had one or two surfboards, whatever I had. But I would get over to the other side of the island where I lived on, a, on where there were smaller waves. And I would get over the uh, the other side of the island, I remember looking out and these waves were huge, but I remembered all the preparation time of doing push-ups, doing sit-ups. Mm. And there were times I'm standing on the beach and I still remember this because brother Hagen used to say, you can have faith in your heart, but fear in your mind or your body. And I remember I'd look and the waves would be 20 foot and I'd look and I'd say, my board's too small. The waves are what I've been wishing, wishing for, you know what I'm saying? And I'm doing that in quotes, what I wanted. And I was in shape, but I thought, man, I'm not ready for this. And my knees would literally be shaking with fear. And I'd talk to myself. I'd say, Cliff, are you going out? Cliff, are you going out? Cliff, are you going out? And I'm like, this is what I wanted. 
And so what I would do is I say, Cliff, you are going out. And I would talk myself into going out because all that preparation time on the other side of the island, you know, to hear it's just like when you come to RBTC, it's your preparation time. And then you start speaking toward your dream. And then when your dream comes, you have to decide, am I jumping in even though my knee, I'm talking about literal, literal knee shaking, literal. I'm like, am I going out? Yeah, this is what I've been preparing for. This is what I've been preparing for. This is what I want to do. And then you'd go out. And there were times I can still remember going over the falls, they call it, in a 15-foot wave. We'd call them six to eight foot, but everybody else would see a 15-foot wave. And going over with a big smile on my face, I'd say, these are big waves. This is awesome. Sometimes once you've got everything ready, you just have to trust that God has your back. And I, I used to say to the Lord, I would say, you know what, Lord, I went over to Hawaii where I probably was, in all practical purposes, serving the other guy. And I said, now that I know you, if you tell me to do anything, I can totally trust you that yeah. you've got me. Yeah. And so when you come here and then you get prepared, you start speaking to that dream. You start claiming that dream. You start writing it down. You start preparing for it. And then when it's time to jump, just go for it, baby. Go for it. Well, sometimes using a, a, the wave technology, um, I really wasn't a surfer. I have seven stitches on my foot to, to prove that. Um, Coral in Waikiki got me. In, anyway, but um, I used to do more bodyboard. I had a, I had a turbo um, bodyboard I got from from, from Hawaii. From, um, had had turbo, had fiberglass on the bottom or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I know a little bit about waves. And the thing about it is um, you have to know, you, you have to be able to see the waves. They come in sets and you'll be able to, you know, find the one that, that, that you know, because there's small waves or bigger waves or whatever. Yeah. I, I never got to the North Shore. And I spent time on the on the windward side over there, um, Sandy Beach and things on, on yeah. Oahu was where I spent most of my time. Anyway, so, um, but, um, you know, if you catch a wave right, you can ride it all the way, all the way to shore. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I would always like when I'm done, I'm going to, I'm going to catch a big wave. I'm going to go all the way, you know, big in my thing was not big and you're what you, you're, you're planning on. But I mean, if you catch one wrong, I mean, you know, if, if you start paddling, you know, if you're too slow, then it'll just, it'll go by you. Or if you, 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 you get to a point, man, it'll crash over top of you. You'll do like, I don't know how many flips or yep. things like that. And, and I remember actually telling my, my dad, we were Sandy Beach and somehow I talked him out to going out, out on Sandy Beach um, and we, we broke two leashes on, on our boogie boards at the time. Yeah. I, I was just driving. It was, it was, and they were borrowed boogie boards, by the way. Um, and so, um, and I told dad, I said, okay, you know, if, if the wave t- takes you over, you, you just, you know, hold your breath and you will come up yeah. when you do take another big breath. Cause no one's going to hit you in, in the back. And so he almost drowned out there, by the way, just one little, my mom got mad at me. And every time after that, everyone went to Hawaii. She's like, don't go to Sandy Beach. I'm like, but that's where I like to go. I mean, that's like one of my favorite places. Yeah. Um, but but the waves I mean, they crash pretty much right on, right on the shore there at Sandy Beach. And, but you know, catching the wave at the right time, you have to know when and how. You know, and sometimes it's just you got to have faith that this this is it. this is it. I'm I'm going. I'm going to start paddling. You know, and sometimes it looks like man, I'm not going to catch that. I mean, it's, you know, it's going to crash on top of me. Or I, but but you know what? When when you could just hit it right, I mean, it's just it's, it's amazing. Just, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, you know. You know, you know, coming through, coming. It's it just, you know, like I said, I, I haven't had a chance to really surf. You know, you know, I, I tried it a couple of times and I just really didn't do well. But you got, you got to have a good foundation. Yeah. You got to be strong. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I, I know. I, I never had took surfing lessons. Yeah. I had one guy trying to help me surf, and um, you know, it, it didn't work. And then you got to get practice. Yeah. And then sometimes you're going to get smashed on the beach, but if you <laughs> just keep doing it, sooner or later you'll pick it up. Yeah. It's like life. Yeah, like life. Yeah, 
but but you know sometimes like I said you just got to do it you just got to you just got to start paddling go for it and you know and go for it and you know it doesn't matter how big the wave and, and you know you realize you don't know how big they're going to get until they actually really form I mean oh, you know, yeah. you know, as they're setting up you you don't really know you know until you you, you know it is what it is so I, I know one time we were at Huntington Beach um, and so they kept bringing the, the lifeguards and stuff making us go in because there there were some tropical storm out there and so they were putting some some fairly good waves out for California and so they were. Um, and so, so one of my buddies actually ended up breaking his nose because, you know, he, took, he took, took the drop on the thing and he actually hit somebody else's top back of the, their head and his board hit his board hit him in the nose, broke his nose, he had to go to the hospital. Mm. Anyway, anyway, we had a good time. They're, they're about eight, ten-foot waves. Um, you know, it was fun. You know, like I said, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a huge surfer like you, but I do know something about waves. Awesome. Tony knows about on, <laughs> Tony knows about laying on the beach. Yeah, yeah well, I'll, I mean, in the Gulf, I like to go out over my head. That's about it. Yep, <laughs> lay I, on my back, float, with jellyfish, float in the water. Well, you know, that's not surfing. I, I'm more of a floater now. Actually, I've lost weight, so maybe I'll pick up some. I am a scuba diver, so maybe I'll go back to scuba diving again. My mom will hate that, so so don't tell anybody. I can't I can't sit on the beach because I I that was my job for a long time. Yeah, working on the beaches and whatever. Being involved in windsurfing and all that, I if I try to sit, I'm like, no, no, I should be doing something. I should be putting a board together. I should be de-. so. I my wife does not exactly actually. I, I was pretty decent at beach volleyball. Were you? Yeah, because you know I didn't like being on the on the beach either. So I remember one time we were in um, Miami. So I'm I'm just walking down the beach and bored. Um, you know, so there's three people and they're just you know bumping the volleyball or whatever. And some so this guy goes, hey, dude, you play play volleyball? I'm like, well. I know how to play volleyball, but I'm from Oklahoma. You know, in Oklahoma, we don't really play beach volleyball. You know, because oh man, come on. You know, so so we're going. And so it's me and him are playing these two girls, and actually it was his wife and his sister. And so we were, you know, we were struggling. We were doing pretty good. You know, I, I, I you know, I was pretty decent at volleyball, but you know, we had to cover cover more and things like that. You know, but and they're keeping up with us, and we're, and we're doing. You know, these are girls, so I'm thinking. So I'm, I'm like, oh man, I'm you know, you know, I'm, I'm apologizing. He goes. No, you don't have to. Real, you have to realize that, that these these girls right here, now, um, they they were like high school champions. <laughs> so anyway, so we actually, um, we won the first game. They won the second game, and we were in the middle of the third game, and we ended up um, stopping because their little kid was having issues. Whatever. But I I was a pretty decent um, um beach volleyball player actually. We've really digressed in this. Yeah, uh, yeah it's really going downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Anyway, back to winning <clears throat> souls. Well, that's the thing about, you know, talking to people. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I started talking to people on the beach, you know, just because I had nothing else to do. And so, you know, it's just being, being all things to all men. Amen. And um, like I said, talking about back, back to catching the waves, I mean, we got to just see them and just do it. Yep. Just do it. Just do it. So, anyway, anything else on your heart, man, before we close today's podcast? I've, I've really enjoyed my time with you guys. Look yeah. forward to the next time. Yeah, Amen. Uh, it's always good to see you. So once again, unisonharvest.com. Um, um, you have your book, Blueprint. Blueprint. Oh, what say it was? Blueprint for a Dreamer and Blueprint for a Dreamer Study Guide. And then my daughter's got uh, I'm Already Famous. He Knows My Name. It's a teen devotional, teen tween devotional. And uh, we've got two children's books that help, um, Tori's Terrific Tours, that help support uh, rescuing young people out of uh, out of situations all around the world. And then... The Littlest Pebble, where I was working out in 1993 at the NRC and put down the weights, just come back from France, 
And the Holy Spirit downloaded this whole message about being in the right place at the right time, no matter where your situation is, and just being content there. And uh, Littlest Pebble. And I end up doing the illustrations years later, and uh, I'm super happy with it. All right. Cool. And also, if you're out there listening and you know, maybe you feel called to the ministry or maybe you want to learn more about the, the Bible, Rama Bible Training College is, is a great place to check out, rbtc.org. If you'll just go there, give us your information, your phone number, your email, your name, and we'll have one of our student representatives give you a call and talk to you more about Rama Bible Training College. Well, Cliff, it was so good to have you this time. And you know, next time you're going through town, coming through town or whatever, we'll, we'll have you again on the podcast and we can talk more about soul winning and Beach, where? <laughs> Which, Thank you for having us. Yeah. Well, we call it Aloha wear, right? And that's what Tony's wearing. Aloha, Aloha, Aloha. Aloha wear. Aloha wear. Yeah. yeah. So you, know, you, you can just. Tony looks like an Hawaiian on the beach. Anyway, here at Rainbow, we're bringing hope, hope, help, and, and healing, healing to, to the, the world. world. God bless you guys, and have a great.